0: everyone, and here here. In season three of my audiobook podcast, I'm reading you my latest fiction story, Bigger Than Ourselves. After the chapter, stay tuned for a mini-blogcast, a blog reflection I'll read into the episode, reflecting on the chapter a bit further. The stories from all three seasons are available in a new paperback compilation called Go Your Way, available now on Amazon. For more info on this compilation, a link to buy, and links to my other writing, head to my link tree, linktr.ee slash Dan Masterton. That's L-I-N-K-T-R slash Dan Masterton. Or find me on Instagram and Twitter at This Lad Dan. All right, time to meet Larry. Here's chapter five. Monday, 8.07 a.m. Thanks for this idea, Father Joseph. I completely understand how hard it could be or would be to try to block off enough time to see what a week looks like for me from start to finish. Plus, I enjoy journaling, so tracking the ins and outs of a week in the life here at the Navigator Pantry should be a fun exercise for me, and hopefully informative for you too. You know, November's can be tricky. It's not quite Christmas, but it's sneaking up on you. And Thanksgiving springs up while you're looking too far ahead and see right past it. At the pantry, the demand can definitely increase when the weather turns colder. Though, we also see some drops in turnout because people may choose to stay home if they can't get a ride or don't feel like walking through the cold or waiting outside. I appreciate the hard work Preston did keeping this pantry afloat as a side thing. And all the orientation he offered me was and is deeply invaluable. He set up a framework here. Unload and stage and intake and distribution flow. That will endure. I was excited to find this 15 hour a week gig had been created and I can't tell you again what a fit it is for me. I'm glad to be on the parish council, but it's exciting to be able to do more. My marketing and comms job is fairly satisfying and helps me make a good living, but only being 30 hours a week, and with the home reno my wife Susan and I are undertaking, this chance to make a little more money and also serve the community is impeccable. I will admit, she doesn't go to church, but hopefully someday I can introduce her to you. My plan is to do Monday and Tuesday mornings to prep for distribution, and then all day on Wednesday to run the show and clean it up. I do my other job from home and can flex the hours. Should be more than doable to cover all that work with the two half days and two full days left over around this gig. For whatever reasons, food pantries have always been what I'm most drawn to in service. I went on a whole mess of trips to help with distributions in high school and kept going in college. I fell off a bit in my 20s, but now getting later into my 30s, I know I'm the only one to blame. And the only one to get it going is myself. So this opportunity is a godsend, because the bit of earning power helps me to prioritize it and dedicate time and energy. It's humbling to be able to facilitate this charity on behalf of our parish, but it's also impactful to walk with people, literally, through these lines, to learn their names and their quirks and their humor. Their gratitude and grace are a blessing, and it tears away some of the BS that other areas of life have really caked on to me. There are tricky moments in this work, but the reception these clients offer me flips me from host to guest, to someone being allowed into moments of their lives and their mornings. It's a purgating process to encounter these folks and be formed. I'll try to keep pretty live and raw here, but obviously some of it will have to be backfilled after the fact. Stay tuned. Cheers. Larry, Navigator Pantry Manager. P.S. I should probably not sign each one, ha! Monday, 8.55 AM. So Mondays are big for confirmation. I always like to check my portal with the depository folks to make sure I'm getting what I ordered. Sometimes when things are out or low we get offered substitutions. I just need to cross-check to limit redundancy with what we have stored and try to get our clients the best mix of unique stuff. Today's call was straightforward. Our billing and balances are up to date. Our usual order is in stock. Our standing truck delivery is on track for 8.30 a.m. Wednesday morning. They did share that the demand has been up all around the region, and they're running thinner on budgets than they'd like. They're limiting price increases and looking to fundraise. I'm going to keep an eye on our bills, and maybe we can kick in some cash prepay some bills or something down the line a few weeks. November includes the Thanksgiving mega distribution with bonus food, special holiday items, and all the turkeys we can get and give out. Those items come from the Parish Life Commission, and this will be my first time coordinating that. They have assured me that they are totally on it, including a check-in phone call this morning. I guess they keep petty cash that they're ready to spend if enough items don't roll in. Monday, 914 AM So I've been meaning to do a little audit and improvement of the distribution trailer. The layout and traffic flow are great, the tables are set up in a logical pattern, but the directions and signage are minimal and underwhelming, tough for a marketing guy to ignore. I walked a few laps and made a list of the signs that are there. Just a plain welcome entrance sign, a block lettered sign that says intake, and some tattered flyers from a few of the local government services. This is going to change. Monday, 9.24am. I really want some branding on these signs. I know, marketing guy. It's not even because I want people to know who's doing this charity work and that we deserve credit. It's because I want there to be a community image with this interaction, so that clients know they're coming to St. Brendan Parish, that they're coming to a faith community, a Catholic parish, and maybe that they'd even consider joining in our Mass and fellowship. I want to help bring these encounters more explicitly under the umbrella of parish life. The clients who visit the distribution shouldn't be seen as a side thing by our community. If the clients choose not to come to Mass or do anything else here with us, that's their choice but I hope our parish is not just proud, but also hospitable and explicitly welcoming and outreaching as a faith community. So I got a great logo from the parish secretary sent to my email. It's a neat retro look that I sure bet is authentically retro and not some goofball hipster chic thing. I'm sitting in the design lab, by which I mean my laptop at the card table in the storage room. Monday, 1156 AM. All right, I went a little overboard, but I think this is really important. I should only have to do it once, that is, make a nice graphic design, print a bunch on nice paper, laminate them, and put them up once for good. Now our welcome sign reads, The Faith Community of St. Brendan Parish welcomes you and has our neat logo on it. That's over the doorway as you enter. There are some floor signs with big red octagon STOP signs, and some green feet that say, Start Here, to go in front of the intake tables. There are blue arrows with the subtle parish logo added along the table fronts to help point traffic in the circle pattern. And the bulletin board by the door has freshly printed flyers. We now have up-to-date information including websites, phone numbers, and program details from the county health department, job training and career center not-for-profits, drug and alcohol addiction services, and the local coalition for people experiencing homelessness. And not only is the info current, but the laminated papers won't be torn curling or yellowed anymore. Additionally, I added two new flyers for the parish, both with the name and logo proudly displayed. One flyer has some basic directions and a QR code for folks who'd like to register at the parish and become part of our faith community. The other one simply has times for masses, reconciliation, and the number for home and hospital pastoral calls. There's also a section at the bottom with addresses and websites for a handful of nearby Protestant and non-Christian faith communities. Hope that's okay. It was kind of a lot and sapped my half day, but I feel immensely better about that space, and I think it actually could be an important update for some of our clients. Tuesday, 8.57 a.m. Our distribution trailer doubles as a multi-purpose space for a few parish groups and some revenue-generating rental gigs, but we block off all day Tuesday and then the morning and afternoon of Wednesday to ensure unencumbered prep for the distribution. So I like to spend my first hour on Tuesday setting up everything I can, short of the food itself, which comes in 24 hours. So now the intake tables, laptops and charger cords, unspooled but still plugged, power strips laid out but not plugged in, Distribution tables, floor and front signs, bags, boxes, and info boards are all set. Time to sit at a desk for a little bit. Tuesday, 9.59 a.m. Now is when we start to get into some more good news, bad news type moments. As I got to know my usual suspects for volunteering, who are all retirees from the parish, I found that they are all good with texting. I imagine we can thank their grandkids for that. So I set up a group text with all of them. And we set a low stress standard of confirming your availability by 9 a.m. on Tuesday. And I told them, in an effort to look after my volunteers, that if I didn't hear from them, I'd go checking on them to make sure everything was okay. There are 16 volunteers on this thread. Five who handle intake computers, and the rest who pinball around the tables, boxes, pallets, dumpsters, and storage room. For this particular week, I have seven yeses, three noes, and six non-responses. I said I would check on them, so I did. Well, an hour and some change later, I finished the sixth phone call. These men and women are sweet, kind, and humble, but they are not brief. Between some forgetfulness and some busy Tuesday mornings, it turned out to be three more yeses, but then it was also three more noes. A doctor's appointment, a dental exam, and a vacation somebody forgot to previously mention. All understandable, all leaving me a bit shorter than I'd like. Down six people leaves me starting to scramble. I can sweet-talk the depository driver into doing a little more staging than usual, I can scope out 8 a.m. mass for a few extra bodies, but we may just be a bit strapped and slow for the week. This reminds me, though, to check some other irons in another fire. Tuesday, 10.06 a.m. Well, that didn't take long. I sent some cold call emails to a few folks from area high schools and youth ministries, seven in all for now. I wondered if maybe people just didn't know about the parish and this hunger ministry. I offered these campus and youth ministers some basic details on the ministry, the details for the service, and a willingness to sign off for confirmation and other service hours requirements as the site supervisor. On the one hand, I had no pre-existing connection with any of these folks beyond my humanity and my Catholicism. On the other hand, I hoped a local service opportunity would generate some interest. Well, that was two weeks ago, and so far, no luck. Five didn't write back. One said youth ministries can't explore weekday activities, and another expressed interest in an exclamation point-laden reply and promised a follow-up message that never came. Look, I love my gray-haired gang, but they won't be able to do manual labor service forever, and they can't all have a seated role at the intake table. This ministry and this church needs its young people. We need young adults. We need college kids. We need teenagers. And so far, I haven't been able to find any and get them to try this. But I feel like if I can find them, and I can get them to try this, that I could help them discover something impactful to themselves, to their community, and to people who might otherwise go ignored and it could take root in them as they grow. I will probably need some help getting my feet in the doors, though. Tuesday, 11.16 a.m. Well, I don't like sitting on my hands and feeling like I can't do anything about a problem, so I decided to try our own youth and young adult person. But when I got to Hope's office, I found an open door and a big note on her desk saying she was two hours away visiting a college campus for the day and leaving her cell number. I had talked to her a few times but hadn't saved her number, so I was glad to see it there. I decided to sit down at her desk and call her from her own office. We had once briefly compared notes on this mobilization desert, and I imagined a follow-up conversation couldn't be more timely than now. When I called, she indeed answered. She happened to be between chats. She had posted up at the Student Commons Cafe on campus and was kind of holding open office hours between appointments with parish kids studying there. How cool! Anyway, she affirmed the trickiness of pinning down ministry peers. Everyone is busy, or at least says they are, (laughs) ha. She said a few folks have tried at different points over the past years to gather peers for networking and professional development, but attendance was low and commitment was underwhelming. It just wasn't a priority to local folks, and the Dawson office didn't take an active interest in making it happen. Hope did share that she has a private Instagram, where follower requests have to be approved, and she limits it only to people who she or her core young adults already know. This way, the content they share is just for their group, and no one has to worry about how they might be seen in photos and videos and stories. She suggested we think about how we might try to engage young adults through this channel, and Hope mentioned she stays in touch with some folks pretty well through social DMs. I think we can figure something out. We'll work on it soon, when we can find a time when I'm here and she's not pounding the pavement. Tuesday, 11.52 a.m. Truth be told, I kind of mixed back into my other job for a little bit. I wanted to think of folks in my company who could be good at helping me with messaging, images, and vocabulary to present this service in the most attractive light. I'm more of a graphic designer and email messaging newsletters person, but I have a lot of colleagues with better niche knowledge. I made a hit list of people to try and some topics to broach. I'm not the deepest, most devout Catholic you'll ever find, but I don't love glamorizing faith in odd ways. Getting too into presentations starts to feel phony. For me, it's about the community life, the liturgy and sacraments, and the service. That's where and how I see the Spirit moving and come to know and emulate Christ and all that's best found and learned through first-hand experience. But how does someone approach that faith if they never hear about it, and decide to come and try something like a food distribution? Something has to be done to get the word out more widely, more effectively, more attractively, and persuade these folks. I think it's worth a new try. The packaging can't become the draw, but maybe it can be the gateway. People might come and see if the presentation entices them, but they'll only stay if they find something authentic. So I'm heartened a bit. No packaging can supplant the eventual spiritual choice people would have to make. But if we do that bit better and do it quite well, maybe new people will turn out. And I want to see what we can maybe do. Wednesday, 7.42am. Okay, distribution day. This is the full day for me. Gotta start before 8 and be ready to grind through at least 4 o'clock. The distribution period is from 10am to noon. Clients know they won't be let in until 10am sharp but many begin lining up here before I've even arrived. Some weeks, I like to stop through and say good morning to the ones already in queue. Part of it is hospitality, but part of it is curiosity. Why come so early? For a few, it's social. They enjoy milling about with the same people each time, almost like a little town square or sidewalk cafe. For others, they worry if they come later that certain things will be gone or limited. They want the full allotment. And then there's a few who are just downright antsy. It doesn't matter how long the wait is or what there is to do in the meantime. They just want to be at the head of the line to get in there and get it done. Every once in a while, you see a new face, too. I talked to someone who was just laid off their job after making a few bigger purchases, and all of a sudden, the grocery shopping was going to be a daunting cost. I talked to another person who was roving while homeless, and he didn't even have an address. I told him we could use a waiver once, but but he needed to have some aspect of residency to help our food bank serve all people equally. There are some tough conversations out there, too. So yeah, some mornings I stop and chat with our folks a bit. This morning, I just cruised inside to get rolling. I want to stay on top of this journal, but something tells me it might be a hairy day. Wednesday, 8.27 a.m. Okay, I've done all I can do before the truck rolls in. We have two pallet movers and a forklift, which is plenty for what we need, really. I did get that OSHA compliance certification done, so I'm trained to use this stuff. I like to pull the dumpsters out and move them closer for all the bag scraps and broken-down cardboard to get moving smoothly out of the way. And then I line up some pallets because we need to keep all food cartons elevated and off the ground. I did find out from one of my older guys that his friend woke up with a locked-up back. And then there were nine. I'm getting nervous. I'll be running. Wednesday, 8.53 a.m. Okay, 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 the truck has not come yet. My nine are getting nervous. The intake crew said they'd put off their table setup till quarter to ten. That way they can try to help stage food and then go express lane to get up and running for the deluge at 10. I already called twice and got no answer. Down seven helpers. The sun's behind the clouds and the wind is biting cold. I peeked out the blinds and the line is as long as ever. We'll push 400 today and that's just about maximum. Something has to give, but not sure what up. Wait, it's here. Wednesday, 1248 p.m. Man, oh man, is there an update to write. For now, I'm eating pizza with a bunch of kids. There are jackets thrown over chairs, a mountain of winter hats and dirty gloves, and a robust quiet as hungry mouths feast. Stay tuned. Wednesday, 3.56 p.m. I'm done moving around for the day. Tables folded and put away, laptops shut down and secured, pallets stacked and stored, remnant food shelved or frozen, garbage tossed out, and cardboard mountain recycled. So how did I do it? Ha, huh. how did we do it? Whew. First, that truck driver was very gracious. She apologized for traffic delays and how long she was waiting on an accident to clear. Plus, her phone died in the car, and she couldn't be reached or offer an update. She helped unload everything and stayed 15 minutes extra to help with pallet moving, while some of our blue-collar guys shifted to food bagging with the intake women. Then we ran into you, father. I can't thank you enough for converting your brief post-mass hello into an unexpectedly long shift. Did you ever imagine you'd bag a dozen apples at a time for 30 minutes straight? It can be rote, but it's also oddly soothing. Hope you agree. Plus, you were able to see our deus ex machina. How would we have survived this day so smoothly without those kids? Just as the fruit starts flying, there comes a bundled-up brigade of surprise help. One adult and nine kids. And not just any kids. High school upperclassmen, too, who had some physical ability and some intellectual chops to pitch in. What a blessing to magically gain kids who could listen and understand so quickly and then dive right into these jobs. They were bagging fruit, cutting down boxes, carrying troves of frozen chickens, and more. And my goodness, what a difference on the line. I'll say once again that I love my elderly volunteers. They are steady, unflappable, and dedicated. But there is a joy to the youth that is distinct and so welcome. For us and for the clients, even the introverted quiet ones bring an energy that is new. Over pizza, their campus minister asked them what they saw. They were well aware, mostly men, mostly older, mostly non white. He asked them what they think caused this. They knocked my socks off. They wondered about housing and mortgage discrimination, unequal considerations in hiring, inferior health care, or inferior quality of food access in majority minority neighborhoods, as well as drug and alcohol abuse and questionable decision making. And then he asked what they want to do in response. A few answers were teenagey platitudes, for sure, but a few of them barked, Come back here! So, you saw them roll in and get their hands dirty, but you wouldn't have heard the story. This campus minister, Pat, is from the new Curbs Academy. These brothers and priests founded this little Catholic high school and named it after their founder, who was just beatified. It's a little order, sort of a teaching order from France, but I guess Curbs was big on going to the edges of society where people were underserved and making sure they had good education and beautiful prayer. So this campus minister wanted his older students to have service learning that focused on the margins, and he wanted them to encounter people experiencing hunger and walk with them for the morning. This is all well and good, but it still didn't explain how and why they came. And on this morning of all times. Well, it turns out Pat had contacted Preston three months ago to set this up. All Pat had then was days. He was taking the kids on a Tuesday-Wednesday overnight, and he found that we had a Wednesday distribution. He cold called Preston and explained, and Preston agreed that they should come help for the morning. He told them to come at nine and work through the clothes at noon. The problem, well, maybe not actually a problem, but a surprise for sure, is that he never told me. In real detail of this deus ex machina moment, he called Preston's line last week to confirm the visit, and it just rang off the hook. we disconnected his phone since I set up in the storage house instead, but I guess the line still rings. Lucky thing is that Pat, being a pastoral type, just decided that, A Catholic parish was unlikely to turn away honest help. So he just showed up, and thank God he did. I called Preston a little while ago, and he confirmed everything, and apologized. I accepted his apology while laughing, and I told him that I could have done without the stress, but I couldn't be more grateful for how it shook out. I gave Pat my updated office number, and my email, and my personal cell phone number, and told him to contact me directly, every way he could. Send a carrier pigeon if you want. I'd absolutely welcome their help whenever they would give it. What a day. Wednesday, 10.04 p.m. Okay, one more entry before I send this off. I had to dig into some other work from my other job, but I got through it expeditiously because I wanted to come back to this. What worked out to get Pat and these kids from curbs here that didn't work with anyone else? For one, it's some luck, not least that Pat found us, but I couldn't get past all the possible barriers someone would have to knock down. For public school kids from parishes and youth ministries, during the school year, they'd have to miss school on their own. It'd take a youth minister or a priest organizing a campaign maybe, convincing a group of parents to call in their kids for a day. Maybe a mix of mental health and special circumstances. Maybe six or eight kids all take the same Wednesday off. They could meet at the parish or one of their houses or even a diner or cafe for some breakfast. They could carpool to St. Brendan and work the shift together as long as an adult from their parish joined them. For Catholic school kids, you'd need institutional buy-in. It'd be a field trip away from class. You'd need administrative approval to miss class and leave campus. You'd need transportation from school vehicles or a rental van or something. You'd need a few bucks to cover a lunch or meal probably, though St. Brendan can help with that. You'd need a campus minister or teacher who can chaperone and help serve. And you'd need other teachers with patience and grace for kids missing their classes and making up the work. But most of all, I need connections with the people who can make all that happen. I have to forge a bond with the people who could instigate such a campaign, and I don't have that right now, and I worry that Thanksgiving and Christmas surges are going to sap my 15 hours to prevent me from getting to more of that effectively. For now, I want to keep recording thoughts, making lists, collecting hopes. Can we have youth organize clothing drives of new and gently used items, especially winter items? It'd be more of a passive after-hours thing they could maybe manage more easily and it'd be neat if we could get a clothing giveaway station set up with our distribution. Can we build out a campaign for young adults to dedicate paid time off to working a distribution once a year at first, maybe more over time? Perhaps if a few people chose the same week, they could serve together and enjoy an afternoon off work afterward. What could my professional peers help me present more attractively on social media and our website? What photos, videos, and presentation could attract more eyes and open more hearts? How could we mobilize the online generations to come help here IRL? This is what will hang with me. The framework is in place and it works. The parish will underwrite the ministry. I will sustain the logistics. The old guard volunteers will come and keep the lights on. The clients will be fed. But I want young people to see this need, to encounter these people, and to be moved and formed to make this action part of who they are becoming. We're not there yet, and it agitates me. Is there a desire even if a hidden desire for young people to mobilize and commit to service and justice i find myself not quite pessimistic but often feeling skeptical doubting that emergence will come but i think i'm still mostly hopeful even if by a small margin and it comes from two places right now first it's the steadiness of these faithful retirees i wonder if they were like this as young people or if it only came later anyway somehow some way something in their lives imbued service into their hearts I don't know if it was the Eucharist, the sacraments, their family and upbringings, or what else, and at what ratio, but the desire to be here and do this with and for our clients is unshakable. I don't have to convince or mobilize or persuade. It's in their blood and bones. I feel like if our parish and distribution closed up shop tomorrow, these folks would find another place, and just like water following the path of least resistance, they'd flow right into another ministry of charity and solidarity. Second, it's the grace of a literal vanload of volunteers materializing out of thin air, or so I thought at least. Somehow, some way, something in the foundation of this new school, and the community in charge, and the people they hired and formed, and the families and students they drew, it led to this group coming here and doing this service. And I think one of these grace-filled lessons in it for me is that it was by no power of my own. I don't want to become someone who relies totally on sitting back and waiting for help, but I do think it's instructive, I should pray steadily and take actions in connection with prayer. Then I also need to leave space for the Spirit to move and animate the loving action around us. Today showed me an equation that adds up to the right sum. My parish and my old guard volunteers are the guarantors. We are the ones who will ensure this keeps going, that hunger and loneliness are met by compassionate hospitality with continuity. And then the young will ebb and flow. Sometimes a van load will turn up, other times there will be none. Sometimes a pastoral leader will connect with me and mobilize their youth. Other times, I'll hear nothing. Sometimes a clothing drive will yield new wardrobes for many. Other times, it won't get off the ground. Much as I might find frustration with what feels to me like the fickleness and flightiness of some younger folks, I can and should have patience and steadiness and resilience. And remember that this is partly generational, but partly just the reality of teenagers growing up. I'm called to be grounded in the constancy of my week in, week out volunteers and the durability of Christ Church. Thanks for this opportunity, Father Joseph, the job and the journal. Hope this helps. Enjoy. High school campus ministry is a bit of an emerging field, a weird thing to say about a role in Catholic education that's been around for decades. Often this role is staffed not by those deeply actively seeking such a role. It often goes to someone whose job is in danger of slipping to part-time who needs more responsibilities to maintain benefits. It often goes to a young, bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed post-grad, maybe even there as part of a volunteer program, who may or may not have any experience in ministry or training in theology or catechesis. It often falls to teachers or other staff members who add it onto an already foolish plate. It's rare that these jobs are done by people who would be overjoyed to do such a job for a long time, even a whole career's worth. As a result, people are often campus ministers who are only passing through, shepherding a program in some various state of disrepair or efficacy for a few years until their next thing, and thus many folks are triaging or learning a few things on the fly or just treading water. That said, there's been a mild shift over the last few years, at least to more thoughtful engagement among active and former campus ministers. It's thanks to professional sessions and informal gaggles at the annual National Catholic Educational Association Conference, a vibrant Facebook group of these folks that the National Federation for Catholic Youth Ministry sponsors, and ongoing ties between some regular suspects. As a result, more thought, more attention, and more development is happening. As people come together, a few topics tend to fire up some ready-made input, as people respond to oft-asked questions with opinions that come from experience. Some major fire starters include when to place kairos, junior year versus senior year versus a hybrid, whether or not to have co-ed small groups and or co-ed retreat experiences, and norms for planning and leading all school liturgies. But perhaps the quickest, most lively debate springs from this big question. Should service hours be required of Catholic high school students? The pros and cons are seemingly limitless. The stories of consolation and desolation varied and vivid. The consensus answer? Well, there isn't one. In debates like this, without a strong and compelling consensus, the practicality in my ministerial heart gravitates instead to best practices. Whether or not hours are required, what are positive, effective, meaningful things that campus ministers, and youth ministers accompanying confirmation candidates and other active teens, for that matter, can do with and for their young people? Here's a few from my experience in conversations. Incorporate processing, hopefully working toward theological reflection. Whether required or voluntary, service needs to be processed. Students who attend service outings need to process what they've been involved in. Otherwise, these are just more things they've done and will not turn into experienced memories. Ideally, this will involve some level of theological processing, at least a see, judge, act type cycle. Here's a simple way to use that in three rounds. One, describe what you saw, heard, and did during our visit. Describe who you saw what they were like, and how you interacted with them. Two, think about why this need exists. Why do people need this service? What are these people lacking? What historical, political, cultural, or spiritual factors might impact this need? Three, consider how to act in response. What ways can you evolve your thinking and how can you consider these social issues? In what ways can you take action to do charity by people in need and advocate for greater justice in social systems? Sometimes all you can muster is a quick informal gaggle in the parking lot by the school van. Other times, maybe you can build in a 15 to 30 minute window back at school afterwards. Alternatively, maybe periodic gatherings could pool service participants from various trips into one larger group for processing. At minimum, it'd be ideal to have students briefly journal, even to just do step one from above in an iPhone note or on a little notepad. As an introductory milestone, I always hope, especially that freshmen and sophomores, and process their way past the very simplest, most basic realizations on their first or second trip. It's good to have my eyes opened, to become more grateful for what I have, or to not take things for granted. Once they acknowledge these fundamentals, hopefully group sharing and faith mentorship can help move them towards something more that seeks human solidarity with people on the margins and develops a mindset that desires more justice for forgotten neighbors. Embrace a variety of experiences. I used to be a bit sour on passive actions like drives, collections, and fundraisers. Thinking time is better spent on direct service that aids people who are marginalized. But as with many things Catholic, a both and solution is ideal. There's great benefit to these more passive service actions too, especially as complementary activity to direct service. First, they're a great low barrier entry point to service. For those who are nervous about encountering new communities, it creates an avenue to become more active that starts shy of that. Collecting coats or clothes or money can meet a need, usually through an agency or organization, that starts to connect people, even if more indirectly. More creative tasks like making blankets, assembling care packs for people experiencing homelessness, or meal prep and sandwich stations for people who are hungry, can all facilitate more active, community-based, and collaborative work. This path also helps engage people who struggle to manage their busyness, works for younger groups who may not be mature enough for certain service sites, or makes an opportunity for groups who meet at times when direct service is difficult, such as Sunday night youth groups. Either way, this collective charitable action is certainly worthwhile. Plus, a small encounter is still possible if a group from the action visits the agency to deliver the donations, and perhaps meets at least with staff who can educate them, if not also some of the clients or community members served. From there, especially with teens, young adults, and older adults, service needs to involve direct encounter with people on the margins. Basic avenues include serving a food distribution at a food pantry or satellite distribution site, helping with food prep, meal service, and hospitality at a soup kitchen, supporting logistics and hospitality at a shelter for people experiencing homelessness, fleeing and recovering from abuse, settling after migration, or others. Such direct encounter is huge for so many reasons not least that it moves those serving to deeper thoughts than eye-openers and self-gratitude. Encounters with people on the margins put names, faces, and stories to issues easily abstracted. It enfleshes solidarity through moments of reciprocity, where greetings, conversation, and even tangible items of aid are exchanged in love. These interactions are invaluable for helping young people, especially those coming from privilege, to discover the fullness of human dignity in all people, in an incarnate, first-hand way, and it sows more fruitful seeds toward forming young people in a faith that seeks justice and spurs them to become greater advocates for that justice. Strive also for an immersion. A next-level component that I'd hope for all young people to find in one of their faith communities is a service-learning and or educational immersion. Let's walk through it by using the terms carefully and accurately. First, an immersion differs from a service outing or a service trip because the group participating stays overnight, at or near the community in which they're serving and or learning, rather than going home each night or to lodging separated significantly away from that community. Additionally, the group undertakes the vast majority of their experience serving, eating, praying, and communing in that community. For example, an urban service week in which suburban kids bus in from suburbs to parts of the city, go home each night to the suburbs and sleep at their parish or their family's homes, Would not be immersive. Conversely, a group that travels to a rural community to assist with home building and repair and then sleeps in a community center or local campsite between their days of work would be undertaking an immersion. A service learning immersion takes the idea of processing one's service and seeks to build out that process more fully. This style of immersion couples long periods of service, perhaps full mornings and afternoons, with intentional periods of processing reflection, faith-sharing, and prayer that aims to help young people think and pray about their work and then form their hearts to become service-minded and justice-oriented. An educational immersion taps into this same immersive structure, but utilizes the time differently. Rather than providing direct service, such as building and repair, food pantry, or soup kitchen hospitality, etc., participants instead undertake learning opportunities. Typically, immersions focus on one topic or set of topics, such as Immigration and Migration, or Ecology and Environment. The Immersion then seeks to educate and inform students through intensive educational experiences. These components would include things like presentations or Q&As with agency and organization leaders, walks through areas with experienced servant leaders where participants learn about the issue and the people it affects firsthand, for example migrant trails in the desert, or homelessness encampments in cities, And interactions with people on the margins who are clients being served by agencies, to name a few. Then similar to other immersions, time is built in to include intentional periods of processing reflection, faith sharing, and prayer that aims to help young people think and pray about their work and then form their hearts to become service-minded and justice-oriented. In chapter five of this story, Larry is trying to get his food pantry streamlined, in part by optimizing his loyal band of older volunteers and complementing their constancy with the vitality and energy of young people. The outreach is tricky, and he has plenty of swings and misses. But when a group does show up, the results, both for the clients served and the young and old volunteers receiving them, are outstanding. Direct service, in short, becomes a time when we often witness the best of people. And often, it's the best of both sides of the encounter. The kind and humble people seeking assistance, as well as the unpredictable young people. These small moments when we put God's compassionate love into action are authentic glimpses of the kingdom of God. Our world is brighter when these glimpses are longer and more frequent. Instrumentals for this podcast were composed and performed by Jason Pham.